Father, thank you for allowing us to come to your word right now. Thank you so much for your word. Lord, we need your help as we come to your word. We need your help to understand. We need our hearts inclined to you, Lord. Will you incline our hearts to fear your name? Incline our hearts to obey you, Lord. Lord Jesus, you are our authority. You're our Lord, our Master. And we want to do whatever it is, God, that you command us to do. So, God, I pray that you help us as we come to your word now, that you open our eyes, open our eyes to truth, and open our eyes to how these things apply to our lives. And I pray, God, you help us to walk them out for your glory and your name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me read verse 18 through 21. So you can read it with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Alright, so what I want to do is I want to put before us today, everybody here, Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to put before us a reminder as we look forward to the new year that's coming. On What are you going to spend this year coming up? What are you going to spend it doing? What are you going to spend it on? You know, last week, Dustin walked us through a text in the Scripture uh, from Galatians about the incarnation. It's very fitting for Christmas. And what I want to do is, is take our gaze and push us forward of what we're going to do and what we're going to walk in for this next year, this year that's coming out. And I wonder how you're going to receive this. This is a very... Uh, practical thing that we're going to look at in the Word today. A very uh, very doable thing that you look at and you say, I want to be a doer of these words. So is that how you're going to receive it today? That I want to be a doer of the Word, James 1.22, a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. Now there is a way, there is a group of people in, in Ezekiel 33, we're not going to flip there, but verse 31, and it says the way that they received the Word was, man, they just thought, man, that was just lovely songs. That was... That was lovely songs that we just heard. And, they, he, and God says, they hear your word, but they don't do it. And so I say, listen, not receive it like that, but rather let's receive these words. It's a very practical thing we're walking into as doers of the word and not hearers only. Okay. And so what we're, what we're going to walk into is some things about the ministry of reconciliation that every one of us have been given. We've been given a ministry. Every, every believer, every person here who's reconciled, has been reconciled to God. You've been given a ministry of reconciliation. There's something that God wants you to do that's going to impact this world. And so I'm telling you these things, and it's not that I think that you don't know them. I know so most of you here. It's not that I think you don't know them. 
It's not that I think that you're unconvinced that it's true that you should be all about the ministry of reconciliation. It's not that I think that you, you know, never share the gospel or anything like that. It's not those things, but rather I wonder, where's the desperation? That's what I want to go after this morning. Where is the desperation that says, I want to see souls saved. God, give me souls or I die. Where's the desperation for these things? Where's the fasting and the prayer toward these things? The holy brokenness to say, I want to see sinners saved. I want to go after the ministry of reconciliation. I heard, a, before we get into the text, I heard a, a story. There's a, an evangelist in South Africa. And he was telling this story about his father. And you know, he, he, he knew as he was saved, uh, this man, this evangelist was saved for a time and his father didn't know Christ. And so about when his father was about 50, late 50s, 58, 59, something like that, he came to know Jesus. And his health was bad at the time. And so he comes to know Christ. And then very shortly after that, he gets put into the hospital. And he's in the hospital and it seems like he's on his deathbed. It seems like he's not going to walk again. He's going to be in that bed until the day that he dies. And his son comes in from some evangelistic tours where he'd been, been traveling around. He comes back in. And his mom comes to him. This, this man who's going to die, who's just recently been saved. And he's going to die. And this, this man... Uh, the, the, the wife of this man comes to him and says, Son, you got to go there and talk to him. He's just weeping. Every time I go in there, I catch him weeping. I catch him crying. He must be in great pain. He must be in terrible pain. you got to go talk to him. I can't see him like this. And so this evangelist goes into his father and he, he begins to tell him this. Dad, you know, it's really bothering mom. She sees you weeping. She sees you, she sees you crying when she comes in and you try to cover it up. And it's really bothering you. You've got you to stop this crying or you're hurting that bad. And he says, son, it's not that I'm hurting. It's not the pain. You know me better than that. And he begins to cry and weep and open up to his son that he had never won a soul to Christ. That he says, he says, son, I want to win a soul to Christ. I want to see sinners saved. And I didn't get to spend my life doing that. I want to see them saved, son. And so his son begins to cry out to God to help his father. God, help him. Even right here where he's at right now. And here's this man that can't walk. He can't walk. He can't get up out of his bed. And all of a sudden, he starts getting strength back again. And the doctors can't understand what's going on. Why is this man regaining his strength? And he begins to regain his strength. And as soon as he regains his strength and he can walk, he starts going to every room in that hospital, preaching the gospel, trying to win souls to Christ. A man desperate to see souls saved. And after he did that and he wants the people to Christ, a little time goes by and he dies. And the Lord granted him a chance to be an evangelist, granted him a chance to Win souls. And this is what I want to put before you. Where's the desperation? The desperation toward the ministry of reconciliation that God give me souls or I die. Where is the desperation like that man? So often I think the ministry of reconciliation gets buried. It just gets buried under an ocean of Christian activity that we do. Have you done that? Have you buried the ministry of reconciliation that's been given to you? Have you buried it under an ocean of Christian activity? There were men who desired to kill Paul. Don't you think about this? If you remember reading through the book of Acts, there's men that desired so badly to kill Paul that it, that it says, they, they said, we're not going to eat, we're not going to eat or drink until we see him dead. Where are the sons of God and the daughters of God that say, I can't eat, I can't sleep, I want to see souls saved. Where's the desperation at for the ministry 
of reconciliation. I want to see souls delivered from hell and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to put before you. I don't want to fire you up for a short season. I don't want to see us just get fired up for a short little time. And then a few weeks later, the fire goes away or we run into something hard and it just goes away. I don't want to do that. I want us to be a people devoted to this, devoted to the ministry of reconciliation. When it's hard and when it's not hard, we press in to God has delivered to me a message. He's committed a message of the gospel to me and I must get it out. I must spread it to the ends of the earth. And I pray we'd be a people devoted and desperate as soul winners. Listen to this quote. C.T. Studd was a man desperate to see souls saved. And he was rocked pretty hard by this quote, from, believe it or not, from an atheist. A quote from an atheist. And C.T. Studd read it, and he thought, man, my life is so inconsistent. And it rocked him. Listen to this quote from the atheist that he had read. Did I, firmly be- did I firmly believe, as millions say they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion in this life influences destiny in another, religion would mean to me everything. I would cast away earthly enjoyments as dross, earthly cares as folly, earthly thoughts and feelings as vanity. Religion would be my first waking thought and my last image before sleep sank me into unconsciousness. I would labor in its cause alone, I would take thought for the morrow of eternity alone. I would esteem one soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences would never stay my hand nor seal my lips. Earth, its joys and griefs would occupy no moment of my thoughts. I would strive to look upon eternity alone and on the immortal souls around me, soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. I would go forth to the world and preach to it in season and out of season. And my text would be, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And so C.T. Studd was rocked as he saw the inconsistency of his life. And so what I want to do is I want to stir you up to love and good works using 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. I really encourage you to hear these words today. With a heart to say, I want to be a doer of the Word of God and not a hearer only. Hear these words like that today. You really can break this up. And I've got two headings there on your sheet. And you can really break it up into these two headings. The heading of our, in this passage, our reconciliation to God. And also in this passage, our ministry of reconciliation. So first off, let's look at that first heading. What does this passage, so our reconciliation to God, what does this passage teach us about our reconciliation to God? What does it teach us about our reconciliation to God? I'm going to give you six bullet points here. First one is this. Our reconciliation is needed. We must be reconciled. All those who are sons of Adam must be reconciled to God. It is needed. Think about what reconciled means. Think about the implications that are found. When you read this in 2 Corinthians and it says, we've been reconciled. What are the implications of that? If I came to you and I said, hey, hey, uh, me and my wife were reconciled. You might look at me and say, I didn't know anything was wrong. Why would you say that? 
Because implied in the fact that there needs to be reconciliation means something was wrong. Something was terribly wrong. There's a split here. There's a problem here. There's an enmity that's right here. And so there needs to be a bringing back together. A, a reconciliation must happen. It, it's, if, if you read in this passage, it says, it says in verse 19 that He hasn't imputed our sins to us, which makes us think that sin, our sin is the reason that we need reconciliation. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Let me just read this verse to you very quickly. Romans 5. Verse 10 says this, listen. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we should be saved by His life. So it says when we were enemies. So what it implies when you hear we need, we need to be reconciled. When you had that thought, what's implied is that we are enemies of God. Our sin is not, we're not victims under our sin. We are enemies of God because of our sin. You see the difference in that? Not just victims, but His enemies. We have rebelled against the living God. And because we've rebelled against Him, we need reconciliation. So that's one thing that this passage teaches us, is we need reconciliation. It's implied here. Another thing it teaches us here is that there's actually a way. Because He says we've been reconciled in this passage if you're here in Christ. Which means there's actually a way, you think about that, that the enemies of God can be reconciled to Him. That you're an enemy of His that deserves His wrath, but you can actually be brought together as a friend of God. Can you believe that that can actually happen? That can actually happen. Another thing we see here, it is a work of God. The work of reconciliation. Look at verse 18. It says, Now all things are of God. The ESV, if you have it, it says, All this is of God. All of it is of God. It's a work of God. So what is a work of God according to the Scripture? What just said, 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if anyone's in Christ, if you're here and you're in Christ, you're a new creation, a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. That work of regeneration is a work of God. All this is from God. And then it says, all this is from God who has reconciled us to Himself. So not only the work of regeneration, but the work of reconciliation is a work of God. This is something that He does. He's the originator. He's the author and the finisher of of our faith. This is a work of the living God. And therefore, when we think about our reconciliation, He gets all the praise and all the glory and all the worship for it. Next thing we see in this passage. It is through Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 18? Our reconciliation, which is, it says, through Jesus Christ. So you think about how could it happen? How could God take His enemies and reconcile His enemies to Himself? How could He make His enemies His friends? How could God do something like that? And it says, through Jesus Christ. Which means Jesus came for this. Jesus did not just come to be a good example of a life well lived. He came to rescue. He came to redeem. He came to reconcile. This is the reason Christ came into the world. So whatever Jesus did when He came, and even if you don't know what that is yet, but whatever He did, whatever Christ did when He came, He came on a mission to reconcile. He came for the reconciliation of His enemies. Next thing we see is this. Is that the way He does this is through Jesus Christ and it's a double imputation. 
It's a double imputation. Look at this in verse. I'll explain that. Verse 19. It says, that is, that is, or, or your, the NAS I believe says namely. And so what we're going to get here is, is, he's already said that we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And now verse 19 is going to dig a little bit deeper into that. That is, here's what I mean by that. Here's what I'm saying. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Not imputing their trespasses to them. So the added phrase there is, God is in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. We know that from verse 18. Verse 19 repeats it, then it adds this phrase, not imputing, or some of your versions say, counting, not counting, they don't go to your account not counting our sins, our trespasses against us. Can you imagine that? What does that mean? Not imputing our trespasses against us. It's like, it's like the sins are just not on the account. Can you believe that? We sin against God and then not imputing their trespasses to them. The sins are not on the account. Can you imagine going to pay a ticket somewhere? You've broken the law and you go to pay the ticket. And when you get there to pay the ticket, you realize that that, that transgression is not even on the record. It's paid in full. There's nothing left to pay when you go to pay the ticket. Now, now imagine something far more serious being on your record in heaven. You imagine something far more serious. Something that purchased for you condemnation in hell forever and ever and ever. And you imagine that be on your, on your record. And suddenly you, suddenly you realize it ain't there. The sin's not on the record. It's just not there. There's a record of my sins, but my record is clean. The sins have not been imputed. The sins have not been counted to my account. You see that? This is an awesome thing. Here's a man who knows that his sins are many. He knows that. And they're recorded in a book before God. He knows that. And here's a man that knows that he deserves every second of his punishment in hell for all of eternity. He knows that he deserves that. And suddenly he realizes, my record is completely clear of sin. What? How could this be? How do sins just, just disappear from the record? How do sins just disappear from the account? How can this be? We know God is holy and God is just and He does not pardon iniquity. So how in the world could sin just not be on the record anymore? Not imputing our trespasses to us. And verse 21 explains the reason that the sins are not imputed to you. Because they were imputed, they were counted to Jesus instead. The sins were imputed to Jesus instead. And this is in this verse, I'm going to read it. And this is what R.C. Sproul and a whole lot of other people way smarter than me call double imputation. Okay, look at verse 21. For He made Him who knew no sin. That's Jesus who knew zero sin because He is the righteous one. The only righteous one to ever walk the earth. He's the righteous one. The righteous. No sin. And He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Verse 19 says our sins were not imputed to us. Why? Because the sin was laid on the Savior. 
A sin wasn't imputed to us because our sin was actually counted to Christ's account instead of ours. It was imputed to Him. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Here's the one who knew no sin. He's the righteous one. And His righteousness gets imputed to us. Double imputation. That His our sin was counted to the Savior and He died under the wrath of them that we were supposed to die. And His righteousness is imputed to us. And so we're looked on with the favor of Jesus Christ because His righteousness is being accounted to our account. It's an awesome thing. It's an amazing thing. I want you to believe, I want you to think that this, this really went down. You realize that, right? If you're here and you're in Christ, you think about, we, we say all the time right here that God is faithful and He never tells a lie. Is it true? Yeah, God never lies. That one time is He lied. Ever, ever, ever. Well, when He looks at somebody like Sadell and He says, righteous, and He says that about a sinner like Sadell, is He lying or is He telling the truth? And I'm telling you, it's real. It is real. It is real. That the sins of Sadell were taken and removed from Him and put on Jesus Christ and the wrath of God really fell on Him. This really happened. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ was really planted on Sadell and anybody else here who is in Christ Jesus. And so that when God looks at you and says, justified, righteous, He's not lying. This is a work of God. It's an amazing work of God. This is what was happening at the cross. You see the cross of Jesus Christ where He dies for our sins. And all you see is a bloody massacre happening before your eyes. If you would have been there to see it. You see blood shed. You see a body torn. You see a man beaten and bruised and dying. But what you don't know behind the scenes what's happening is our sins were being planted on Him. Our sins were being imputed to Him. And He was dying under the weight of Him. He was, he was crushed under God's wrath. That's what you couldn't see. If you would have been there to see the cross. One more thing I want to say about it is this. It's very personal. Your reconciliation. Through Jesus Christ. Through double imputation. Your, your reconciliation is very personal. Verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us. Us. To Himself. Through Jesus Christ. In verse 19, he's going to go on to say that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. He's going to speak in general terms. But right here he says that God has reconciled us to Himself. So let that, let that lofty thought linger for a minute. Every one of you here who are in Christ, you really were an enemy of God. An abomination to God. Your sins made you a rebellious enemy of God. And He reconciled you. He reconciled you. And that ought to blow you away. You've seen it happen. I was thinking about many of us here when I was thinking about this. That God, this is personal. Make it personal. God has done this. He's reconciled us to Himself. I remember when Jake Benton was lost and, and gone astray. And then God reconciled him and brought him into the faith. I remember that. He remembers that. Right, Jay? God has saved him. Or Eric, God saved you, man. 
He reconciled you. You were an enemy of God and He reconciled you to Himself. It's a glorious thing. And every one of you here that's in Christ Jesus can say that and you can rejoice in the living God for what He's done. Now, let's turn the corner. What does this passage teach us now about our ministry of reconciliation? So here you are. Here we are, the reconciled ones. The ones that Christ has reconciled if you're here and you're saved. But now, what does this passage teach us about our ministry, the ministry of reconciliation? And again, I'm going to give you six bullet points here, okay? What does it teach us about our reconciliation? First thing is this. It is given personally to all who have been reconciled. The ministry of reconciliation is given personally to all who have been reconciled. Look at verse 18. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. And here it is. And has given to us. That's those from verse 17 who've been made a new creation. That's those from verse 18 who've been reconciled. Has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. And here it is. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. This is not a unique just to a couple people. This is God to those whom He reconciles. He hands off to them, entrusts to them the word of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. Do you feel the responsibility of that? And this isn't the only place in the Scriptures. We see this in many other places in the Bible. Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. It says, God gave some in the church to be... And it gives you a list of these different offices in the church, such as pastor and teacher. And then it says, for the equipping of the saints, that's all in Christ Jesus, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. It's not unique to hear that God has given all saints, if you're in Christ, you're a believer, then you've been given a ministry, a work of ministry, according to that verse. Well, Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, it says that all those in Christ, He looks at them and says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them. He sends you out to be a disciple maker. That's what He sends you out to do. Or Acts 1.8, it speaks about those who receive the Spirit of God. Are you here in Christ? Are you in Christ? And if you receive the Spirit of God, well, if you have, listen to Acts 1.8. It says, You will be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, my witness is in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So do you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you? And if so, you are empowered to be a witness for Him. And I want you to see, this is personally to all who are in Christ, not a special class of Christians. You see this really clear as you read through the book of Acts, right? You read through the book of Acts, you see the church of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, they get spread out. Persecution comes raining down in Acts chapter 8. And they get spread out everywhere. The apostles stay in Jerusalem. The leaders stay in Jerusalem. But when all the rest of the saints get spread out, what does it say they do? They get spread out everywhere. And it says they're preaching the Word. They go out with the ministry of reconciliation. So take this personal. It says in verse 18, He has given to us Take it personal. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You can't take the, the reconciliation in Christ Jesus personal and not take the ministry personal. You've been given both by God. 
It's a glorious thing. Proverbs 11.30 says, He who wins souls is wise. I love the ESV. It says, He who captures souls is wise. Daniel 12.3 says, Those who turn many to righteousness. Those who turn many to righteousness. It says they'll shine like the stars in heaven. Those who turn many to righteousness. And Jesus said in Mark 1.17, He said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. If you follow Christ. Now I'm saying these things plainly to everyone because I feel a temptation in this culture to lower that standard. Don't you feel that temptation? That in this culture there's something that wants us to, to try to lower that standard. And I think that's the reason you see things like in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. When he looks at them and he rebukes them and he says, he's talking about their growth in the Lord. And he says, by this time you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And so he's pushing on that thing, not to lower that standard, but all in Christ who have been reconciled have been given a ministry of reconciliation. So it's for all. It's personal. I encourage each one of you, all of us here together, if you're in Christ, to take this personal. What will you do about this? This ministry that's been given to you. What will you do about it? Next thing is this. It's a service. Notice it says the ministry of of reconciliation in verse 18. Now in verse 19 he's going to say the word or the message of reconciliation. But right here he says the ministry of reconciliation. It's the, it's the service. The word ministry it means service. So a ministry is a service or a minister is a servant. Is the idea here. So the role of going to the world. With the intention to reconcile the world to Jesus Christ. Is a loving service. You see that? Helping the hardened world to see that they are sinful creatures that need Christ Jesus the Savior, that is a service. It's a loving service. Think about it. Was it an act of God? Was it an act of, of, of God's love for Him to show you your sin and then exalt and preach Christ to you and call you to turn from your sin to Christ? Was that an act of love from God? Yes, absolutely it was. You know that it was. So therefore, in the same way, when you turn the corner and you do the same thing, that you go into a lost world and you show them their sin and you exalt and preach Christ to them and call them to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, that is an act of loving service. This is the ministry of reconciliation. You want to be, you want to be a loving servant to other people? Take up your ministry. Take up the ministry of reconciliation and bring people to Christ through the gospel. Next thing is this. You are entrusted. Okay, what does this passage teach us about our ministry of reconciliation? You are entrusted with a word. You are entrusted with a message of reconciliation according to verse 19. So again, look at verse 19. That is, so he's explaining. He's already said you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. That is, he's going to explain it further here. What do you mean I've been given a ministry of reconciliation? What are you talking about? In verse 19 he says, at the last half there, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Or some of your versions say, he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. It's been entrusted to us. So right here it says the word or the message. It's not just been given like in verse 18, but it has been entrusted 
or committed. Which means it's been laid upon us. Which means this word, this gospel we've been given, it's our responsibility. It's our load to bear. It's ours to carry. We need to carry this gospel that's been delivered to us, been laid on us, given a responsibility here. So what is it? What is it that's been laid on? What is it that's been entrusted? The word, the message, that word right there for word or message in the SV is logos. It's literally something said. So something said, specifically something said by God, has been delivered to you if you're here and you're in Christ. If you've been reconciled, something said by God has been delivered to you. That, that same Greek word is used other times in 2 Corinthians. is translated as word, as utterance, as speech. A word from God, an utterance from God, a speech from God has been delivered to you. If you're here and you're reconciled to God. Now this ought to kill forever. The unbiblical notion that you don't have to open your mouth. You just have to live a good, nice life and people will be saved through your nice living. This ought to kill that forever, right? Because verse 18 says you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. And when he explains it in verse 19, he says a message has been given to you. A message has been given to you. You must open your mouth. This is a speaking ministry. You have to open your mouth. It's been delivered to you. Romans chapter 10. Verse 14 through 17 says, How are they going to call? They call, they're saved by calling on Christ. How are they going to call on Him in whom they not believe? And how are they going to believe the one they hadn't heard? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. This Word of God, this Word of the Gospel has been delivered to you if you're here and you're reconciled. You have to open your mouth and share it with a lost world. There's an unhealthy tension that I've seen, and I'll mention it very quickly. An unhealthy tension that I've seen in our culture between relationship, evangelism as it's called, and some people call it flyby evangelism. And what they're trying to make a distinction between is, should I share the gospel with only with people that I'm really close with, that I built a relationship with, or should, and, and should I ever share the gospel with somebody that I don't even know? Should I do that? And there's been this wrench being made that some people want to go out and share the gospel with people they don't know. And some want to make sure they have a long-standing relationship before they share anything about Christ. And there's this thing that's happening. And I'm saying, why? Where in the Bible would you ever divide those things? Why would you do that? The Scripture doesn't do it. The Scripture speaks of a man named Paul, for example. And it says he goes into the marketplace in Acts 17 and he preaches the gospel to whoever happens to be there. And he has relationships. Both are there is what I'm trying to get you to see. And so what I'm trying to get you to see here is that, is that what has been delivered to you is a message. You must open your mouth and speak this message to a lost world. To those you don't know and to those that you do know, go after relationships. Yes and amen. But preach the gospel to a lost world that needs it. They need that. They need reconciliation. Not just a relationship with you. A relationship with you will save no one. Seeing your godly life will not save anyone. It will undergird the message, no doubt. But your godly lifestyle will save no one. But the glorious gospel message will. It will save souls. I want you to think about this. Acts 26. Jesus looks at Paul. Jesus looks at Paul in Acts 26. And he says this to him. And I want you to think about how would you receive these words from Christ? 
How would you receive this? Verse 17. I will deliver, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So Paul, I'm sending you to them. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Do you think in that moment, when he says, I'm sending you to turn them from their sin. I'm sending you to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. I'm sending you to do that. Do you think you would look at him in that moment and say, Lord, I just need to trust you. That's your job. I just need to trust you to do that. I'm going to live a good life in front of them. No, you would say, yes and amen, Lord. I'm going to go out and do that. I've got this gospel message that you've given me to do it. I'm going with it to turn them from darkness to light. Do you get what I'm saying to you? It's a ministry that has been given. So if you're here and you've been reconciled to God through the message of the gospel, that same message of the gospel has now been entrusted to you. And so you shoulder the weight of it to take this gospel into a lost world and to spread it far and wide. Next thing here. What does this passage tell us about our ministry of reconciliation? It is an ambassadorship. It means you are an ambassador. Verse 20 says this. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. You can go over later and read Luke 14 verse 31 and 32 and it will give you a picture of what an ambassador is. It says delegation there. It's a very similar word to this Greek word ambassador. And what you have is a king who owns something, and the king sends a delegation. The king sends an ambassador to represent him, to represent his views and to speak his words there. An ambassador. He stands on behalf of a king. And this verse just said, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Meaning, you represent the king. How excited would you be to realize you got to represent some nobleman somewhere. Some high up authority that you get to stand and represent them in another place. And this verse is plainly saying, you represent King Jesus. Are you unimpressed with that? Or do you love that? You represent the Most High. Something I love about being an, an ambassador. Something I love about being an ambassador an ambassador doesn't go with something new to say. An ambassador doesn't go with some, some cool thing they made up that they get to say. Some little thing that they have. Instead, they go bearing the message of the king. And somebody says to the ambassador, I don't like what you say. The ambassador says, you're going to have to take it up with the king. You go with the king's word. You go with the king's message. Next thing here. You are an extension of God's pleading with a lost world. You are an extension of God's pleading. Look at verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. As though God were making His appeal to a lost world through us. As though God were pleading through us. You are an extension of God's pleading. Now this is the glorious truth, is it not? That God Almighty... The glorious one. That He is a reconciling God. That He is a pleading with the world type God. Is that not amazing that He's like that? 
You've heard me say this, vo- this, this same verse many, many times. And I encourage you to hear me again. Isaiah 65.1 says, God looks on a lost world and says, Here I am. Here I am. And He holds out His hands all day long to a rebellious people that walk in a way that's not good, that provoke Him to His face continually. He's a reconciling, pleading God. Jesus said, Come, right? That's what He said. He said, Come all you weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your souls. Come. He's a pleading God with a lost world. And I say, let's be like Him. And our, and our persistent pleading with the world, our, our going to the world and pleading with them to be reconciled to God, pursuing the lost, seeking and saving the lost. Let's be like Him. Jesus did that, right? He came to seek and to save the lost. And may we be like Him. Those who seek and save the lost. And we must become like Him because this verse says, He makes, he makes His pleading through us. This is how God in His sovereignty has decided to do it. That through us, He would make His appeal to a lost world. Think about it like this. God, think about how much mercy. God graciously desired to deliver Israel from Egypt. He wanted to do that. He desired, what all oh, the grace of God, that He looks on Israel in bondage in Egypt and He wants to deliver Israel from that cruel bondage. But the people don't know. The people don't know. So how are they going to find out? God speaks through an ambassador named Moses. He speaks to a man. You remember Exodus chapter 4? He goes to this man, Moses, this bumbling, stumbling man that can't speak a word, has no eloquence in his speech. And he says, I want you to tell him for me. And in the same way, God desires to save sinners. Do you know how glorious that is? Do you know how amazing that is? That our God desires, He graciously desires to save sinners. But how will they know unless we, bumbling and stumbling though we may be, how will they know unless we go and deliver the message to them that they might be saved? Will you make an appeal? The appeal of God. Will you, will you apply it to yourself? Will you plead? With lost souls to be saved. I've told you this story before, but I want to mention it again because this is the verse that that God dealt with me on it. I remember me and Lydia going down to to Natchez, and uh, I believe this is before Samuel was born, my oldest. And we go down to Natchez, and we we start we spend some time there in Natchez, and we went to this thing. It's a bed and breakfast. We never done that before. We're at this bed and breakfast, and you got this guy who's there. That was different for me, you know. I'm used to being in a hotel. You don't see anybody. Well, here's this guy cooking for us and all stuff. You know, we're at a bed and breakfast. That's the way it is. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I want to, you know, one morning when we wake up, I want to share the gospel with this guy. I want to do, and I had something in me. I wanted to do that, you know. And I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't. And I remember the last minute, I mean, we're just about to, we're literally, Lydia and the kid, or just Lydia at this point, are in the van, in the car, about to pull out of this place, and we're about to leave, and I'll break a track out of my pocket, which I love. I'm a fan of giving out tracks. I love it. But I got this track out of my pocket, and I walk back up there, and I hand it to her, hey man, I just want to give this to you. Talks about Christ. There's a verse in the Bible that says, and I, and I quoted a verse to him from Scripture. And I just said that, and he told me a little bit, he looked a little bit, you know, put back like, uh, 
And, and he said, oh, I don't really believe in all that. And I got in my car and I left. And I remember getting in my car and leaving that day. And I remember God bringing this verse to my mind. As though God were pleading through us. Be reconciled to God. And I remember being convicted over that. That I just wanted to get my little word in. I wanted to get my little track in. I just wanted to make sure I took the weight off my back and delivered it over to them. But it did not look in my life like as though God were pleading with this man. Be reconciled to God. It didn't look like that for me. And so I don't like that. And I ask God, Lord, help me. And I'm sure all of us have some experiences like that, that you, don't, that you don't like, that you know it was wrong. But what I'm getting at is I want God to grow us out of that. That God would grow us in this direction of God making an appeal through us, be reconciled to God. Okay? Last thing I'll say here about this ministry. This passage shows us the message that we are called to spread. And this is, I love this. This passage shows us, as we pick up our ministry of reconciliation, this passage shows us, well, what is the message that we're supposed to be spreading? It shows us that. Shows us that. Look at it in verse 20. Now then, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. And what's going to happen? You're going to start seeing you's in here. So, so now it's not we, but you. So listen to the, the message. Here's the message. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. There's your message. That's your message to a lost world. And you can really break it up into two parts. you got the summons and you got the gospel truth. you got the summons where he, where he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He's summoning, summoning them into the kingdom of God. And then you've got the gospel truth, the ground for which you can even come. And that's, that, that's in verse 21. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for you, that in Him you might become the righteousness of God. You see that? So we've got it broken up here. Verse 20. The end of verse 20, we get the summons piece of your message. And in verse 21, we get the gospel truth piece of your message that you preach. Now listen to the urgency. Think about this. If you're here and you're reconciled, you've been a message has been delivered to you. And here it is. Can you imagine yourself delivering this message? Listen to the urgent plea. The urgency of the plea coming out of his mouth. We implore you. That's we beg you. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. In other words, we don't just drop gospel information on people. We plead with them to come to Christ. Come to Christ. Come to the living Savior. He's mighty to save. Come to Him. Come all you weary and heavy laden. He'll give you rest for your soul. Come. We don't just drop only gospel information. We're not just lecturers. Our ministry involves pleading with souls. It involves pleading with people to be reconciled. Acts chapter 2. You can turn with me there if you like. Acts chapter 2 verse 40. I want you to see this in the life of Peter. In the life of Peter, you see both of these things. When he first preaches that message in Acts 2, on the back of which 3,000 souls were saved, what do we see him preaching? Well, his message begins in verse 14. And if you read from verse 14 all the way through to verse 38, 39, you're going to see a man preaching the gospel truth. That verse 21, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. You see him preaching that gospel truth. But what I want you to see is the summons. 
They ask Him, what must we do to be saved? He tells them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And I want you to look down to verse 40. And with many other words, He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. You see that? See, Peter spoke many other words, many other words than what we have recorded right here. But how do we summarize those many other words that Peter preached? How do we summarize them? We summarize them like this. Be saved from this perverse generation. Do you see the urgent plea? You see the pleading with them. I'm, I'm, I'm begging you on behalf of Christ. Be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved. Be reconciled to God. Can you see yourself going with that message? Not just gospel information, but pleading with souls to be saved. Can you see yourself doing that? Let me give you this quote from Charles Spurgeon. I think it's helpful. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. And I want you to have the same heart. Same heart. Listen. He says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. As an ambassador of Jesus, as a minister of reconciliation, who've, been, who, who've had delivered to you a word, a message of reconciliation, who are you pleading with? Be reconciled to God. Whose legs do you have your arms wrapped around saying, don't go there, turn to the Savior. I encourage you to apply this, apply this to your life. So not only the summons, but we got the gospel truth here in verse 21. And what we're reminded of when we read, here's the summons, be reconciled to God, and here's the gospel truth in verse 21. What we're reminded is the gospel is not mainly good advice, it's good news. It's not mainly what you should do, but what Christ has already done, what Christ has already accomplished. And we see that in verse 21. I've already described some of verse 21. Christ Jesus, who has no sin becomes sin for you, falls under the wrath of God in your stead, so that you might become righteous through Him. This is the Gospel in verse 21, the Gospel truth. And so I encourage you, as you go out as a minister of the Gospel, and you want to plead with lost souls, and you want to offer up Gospel truth, I encourage you, memorize this verse. Memorize it. What are you going to do to prepare as a minister of reconciliation? How are you going to prepare? Memorize this verse. Dwell on it until you love it. If you've got nothing else, but you've got verse 21, you have a lot. Dwell on this verse until you love it. Dwell on this verse until you can articulate it and just read it and then explain it to somebody and plead with them to come to Christ. Go to this verse and spread it far and wide. And when these things come together, the summons, be reconciled to God, and the gospel truth, you become a dangerous evangelist. A dangerous evangelist. Now let's move ahead. Let's talk about some objections or hindrances uh, to taking up your ministry of reconciliation. I just left a bunch of blank spaces there. I don't expect you to write anything in them from what I'm going to say. 
I encourage you to take those blank spaces later. And you think about it in your own life. What are the objections that rise up in your heart? And how do you deal with them from the Bible? What are the hindrances that rise up in your heart from being a minister of reconciliation? And write them down and deal with them from the Scriptures. But let me just give you a few. What are some objections or hindrances to taking up the ministry of reconciliation? One is this. Here's an objection. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And I want you to see this fear. So it's fear. And I want you to see this fear that would hinder you from being a minister of reconciliation. I want you to see this fear as sin. As a lack of faith in God. Oh, that you would trust in the living God. That the fear would rise up in you. But you'd kill it with the promises from God's Word. You can't stay fearful. You must move past it. And though that fear might arise again and again, you have to battle it to be a minister of reconciliation. Let this, let this verse from God's Word help in you. Let, let, let's listen to Jesus' words to Paul. Acts 18, verse 9. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Could you imagine what that did to his fear? Don't let fear stop you. What else? What's another objection? Another objection is, it's awkward. It's just awkward going and sharing the gospel with people. Being a minister of reconciliation, it's just got an awkwardness to it. And I'll give you two things. One from a man and one from the Bible. One man, I believe it was John Piper, said something like this. I've done a lot of research and I found out that awkwardness never killed anybody. Okay? And I believe him on that. Awkwardness never killed anybody. It hasn't killed you. Okay? It won't kill you. So who cares if it's awkward? Think of what's at stake here. But let me give you something more serious from God's Word. I believe sometimes when we say it's just awkward, I believe that's a soft way to cover up something that's much more serious. Listen to John chapter 12, verse 42. Listen. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Him, many believed in Christ, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And so I believe if we let awkwardness change us, and awkwardness push us, and we say it's awkward, so I can't be a minister of reconciliation, it could it be that you love the praise of men more than the praise of God? And can I encourage you to, to turn away from that awkwardness, to get past that awkwardness. Let me give you another objection. But what if they reject me? Or, or not only what if they reject me, but no one ever comes to Christ when I share the gospel with them. What if that's your objection? And I would just say that this, this is what God said would happen, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that you're like the fragrance of Jesus. And, and you think, man, that sounds good. I'm the fragrance of Jesus. That's amazing. But then you realize the next verse says, you're the aroma smell of death to those who are dead, death to death, and you're the aroma of life to those who are alive. So Jesus said, God said that this is the way that it would go down. Don't be discouraged if they reject you. The answer is not stop preaching the gospel. No one got saved that way. So don't stop. Press on. Let me give you another, another objection or hindrance. The indifference and indifference to eternity. Or maybe I should say it like this. An indifference. Just an indifference to eternal souls. Do you know what's at stake here? Eternal souls. In hell forever and ever. In heaven forever and ever. And this is at stake as we go forward with the gospel. 
And so if you are indifferent towards the eternity of souls, you will not want to pick up the ministry of reconciliation. If we could just get a glimpse into hell for a moment, for a, for a half a second, if we could get a glimpse into hell, you'd become the greatest evangelist on this earth. You remember the man? You remember the man that, that Jesus told the story about Lazarus, the poor man and the rich man? And the rich man wanted nothing to do with God until he got put in hell. And there he is in Hades and he's burning up. Just give me a drop of water on my tongue. So he gets a glimpse into hell and he becomes an evangelist in a moment as he looks to Jesus and he looks to Abraham and he says, please send Lazarus to my brother so that they won't come to this place. Don't be indifferent toward hell. Don't be indifferent toward eternal souls. Or what about another objection or hindrance? An indifference towards the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus. Think about how obsessed Psalm 67, the writer of Psalm 67, obsessed with the glory of Jesus. God, just bless me. Bless me so that Your way might be known in all the earth. So that Your glory might be spread among all the nations. If you're indifferent towards Christ Jesus' worship and glory in all the earth, then you'll be indifferent toward the mission. Let me give you another hindrance. What about laziness? The ministry of reconciliation is work. It's labor. Your ministry that's been given to you cannot survive in laziness. It can't. Listen to Philippians 1.7. Striving together for the hope of the gospel. Striving together. Striving is what the ministry of the gospel is. Or Colossians 1.29. It says, we labor with His power working in us. We labor or Jesus said, pray that laborers would be raised up because the harvest is plentiful, but pray for laborers. Laziness will kill your ministry of reconciliation. Listen to Proverbs 13.4. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing. It's possible to desire to be a minister of reconciliation. And it says, but the lazy man desires and has nothing. He has nothing. Well, what about another one? What about worldliness? Can worldliness hinder it? You're so caught up in the things of the world that eternal things have no pull on you. I'd rather look at Facebook and watch a movie than to see eternal soul, uh, excuse me, an eternal soul ripped out of hell forever. Worldliness. What about a love of com comfort? A love of comfort. The ministry of reconciliation is not a lifestyle of comfort. The comfort that, that money might produce to you. I want more money. I don't have time to be a minister of reconciliation. Or materialism. I want more stuff. Just a bunch of stuff. I want more of it. It's all going to burn up in the end. But I'd rather have my stuff now than to see souls saved forever. Or what about isolation? I just want to be comfortable and isolated. Uh, you know, being around people I don't know and people that are lost. That ain't my thing. I just want to be comfortable. Let me give you one more. Excuse me, a few more. What about being unequipped? Well, do you say, I'm hindered from the ministry of reconciliation because I'm unequipped? First thing I'd ask you is this. Is that an excuse? Because so often I feel like it is. That it's just an excuse. I'm unequipped just as an excuse. You're not unequipped. And you know how to get equipped. But if it's not an excuse, 
and you actually are unequipped, then my next question would be, what are you doing to be equipped? Are you moving toward being equipped to be a minister of reconciliation? Because I, that's, that's my role as a leader in this church, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I want to help you. And I've got nothing else to give you but the Scripture, so you know to go there. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture, God breathed, so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work, even the work of reconciliation. But what about ignorance? Maybe you just didn't know. Maybe you didn't know that you were supposed to be a minister of reconciliation. Well, you know now. <laughs> now you know. Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12, it says, Deliver those who are drawn toward death. Deliver them. They're headed toward death. Deliver them. And then he says, right after, he says, Don't say you didn't know. Don't say you didn't know. Doesn't the God... God of all the earth, doesn't He know all things? He knows. Can't say you didn't know. Well, what about deception? Maybe it's deception that's hindering you. Do you have unbiblical views of the ministry? And you see it as only such a, something that extra, extra uh, uh, gifted people do or, or something that only the clergy, whatever that is, do. And that's what you see. Maybe it's just an unbiblical view of this sort of thing. And so when you think about doing the ministry of reconciliation, you just think it's extra credit. And I'll say, No! To neglect it is sin. Don't neglect this ministry that's been delivered to you. It's been given to you. Let me give you another one. Maybe you say this. This is an objection or a hindrance. I'm just too sinful. I'm just too sinful. And there's one sense and maybe you need to say yes and amen. You need to turn from your sin. It's hindering you. Sin can hinder you in your walk with God. It's true. So in a sense, maybe yes, you need to turn from your sin to the living Christ who died for you. But then there's another sense in which Satan can condemn. And you need to remember, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know any ministers of reconciliation that don't struggle with sin. They all do. And the last one I would say would be, maybe a hindrance to your ministry of reconciliation would be, maybe you're just unconverted. And that's a heavy thing to say, and it's the scariest one of all. But what I'm getting at is, is shouldn't you think about that? I think it was Spurgeon said something like, you have no heart for others to be saved. He said, you yourself are not saved. And so I'm asking you that. Do you have a heart? There's something in you that said, I want to see people saved. I want to see people delivered from hell. And, you know, and if you don't, if it's not there, should you do what 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says? Examine yourself, whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourself that Christ is in you? Unless indeed you've been disqualified. Alright, last thing I want to give you here is some encouragements. And I encourage you to go back. i got those blank spaces on your sheet. Go back and you list out these encouragements. What are some encouragements for you to take up your ministry of reconciliation? Okay, Here's some encouragements. One is this. You have been reconciled. And who better to reconcile lost, sinful enemies of God to God than a lost, sinful enemy of God who has been reconciled? Who better to do the job than you? You've been reconciled to Him. And so let thankfulness to the reconciliation you've been given, let it drive you into this ministry. Or let me give you another one. It's God's work. We saw that in verse 18, right? All this is of God. It's God's work. 
So you're stepping into a ministry that it's His. He owns it. He's the author and the finisher of it. He's, he's promised this ministry is going to be successful. You know why? Because we get a glimpse into heaven where every nation, tribe, and tongue bow down before Him. All those who are His will come to Christ. Every single one of them. And so, I'm, and so I'm telling you, you step out into the ministry of reconciliation and it's a step of faith. You trust in this God. It's His work. Let that encourage you. And there's nothing that pushes you toward faith in God and toward your, a, a, a vibrant prayer life than you stepping out with boldness into the ministry of recon, reconciliation. Let me give you another encouragement. The Word of God is powerful. You, the verse said you've been given a word of reconciliation, a message of reconciliation. And that word of the gospel is powerful. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to save those who believe. You're not going out with nothing. You're going out with a powerful message that saves souls. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful. Take it up. And go out as a minister of reconciliation. What an encouragement. That you've got God's powerful word. And you've got God's powerful gospel. Jeremiah 23-29. It says, It's not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And so you take up. Take up your ministry of reconciliation. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Use the word and trust God that those words and that gospel is powerful beyond all that you can imagine. That's an encouragement. Another encouragement. If you're here and you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit, God Himself dwells in you. And Acts 1.8 says you receive power when the Holy Spirit dwells in you to be His witnesses. So be encouraged about that. Or John 7, verse 37, 38, 39. It says that, that, that rivers of living water come flowing out of us. And this He means the Spirit of God. You have that rivers of living water promised by His Spirit to flow out of you. Trust Him as you move into the ministry of reconciliation. Let me give you another one. You have a great high priest. Hebrews 7.25 says, He always lives to make intercession for you. He is the one that came to bring reconciliation and He's the one interceding on your behalf continually. Continually, He died for your sins. Buried, rose from the dead as King of the universe. Ascended on high, seated on His throne. And He intercedes on your behalf. Really? And so go. As a minister of reconciliation. Let me give you another one. This is a little different. Joy. Just for joy's sake. Go after, I be encouraged to go after the ministry of reconciliation for the sake of joy unspeakable. Joy. You say, what do you mean? Because the ministry of reconciliation is not like pulling teeth. It's joy and rejoicing as you go after this. I, I believe that many people think that their walk with God, it feels boring. And you know why? Because they're not obeying Him. Of course it's boring. You're not doing what He told you to do. It seems boring. But there's the Christian life is not boring. I want you to think about what has been entrusted to you. The Christian life's not boring. Think, just think about what's been entrusted to you. Think about it. Think about it. Go to a world full of deceived people and deceiving spirits and take them the message of the glorious gospel that can save their souls. And many of them will hate you for it, but some, some of them will be ripped out of hell and given eternal life forever and ever. That ain't boring. Unless you neglect it. 
The prophet Isaiah, he said this. He thought, he thought spending your life for others was a joy producer. Isaiah 58 verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. Your gloom be like the noonday when you pour yourself out. Not just for yourself. So the prophet Isaiah believed it. What about C.T. Studd? He believed it too. Listen to what he said. I cannot tell you what joy it gave me to bring the first soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've tasted almost all the pleasures that this world can give. I do not suppose there's one that I've not experienced. But I can tell you that those pleasures were as nothing compared to the joy that the saving of that one soul gave me. What about Charles Wesley? He believed it as well. Charles Wesley, I've got a quote from him, but let me give you the setting. So he's going to these prisoners that are on death row. He's going into their prison cells. Okay, and he's he's you think of the danger of that. He's going into them. They're going to die. They're going to be hung the next day. And he's going into their prison cells, giving them the gospel, loving these men, caring for their eternal souls. The next day he shows up at the gallows and all the crowds around to see these men get hung. And there's Charles Wesley standing on the platform where the gallows are to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. To comfort the ones who are saved to the very end. And once they're hung, they're there dead and hanging. And he turns to the crowd and he delivers the message of reconciliation to them as well. And he gets done and this is what he says. That hour under the gallows was the most blessed hour of my life. He believed it brought joy. Let me give you a couple more encouragements. Here's another encouragement. God's, think about God's strategy to use the weak. The Bible says He uses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. Doesn't that encourage you to go? This means your weakness is no longer an excuse to not engage in the battle of reconciliation, but your weakness is a reason to move forward. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. And let me give you one more. The eternal reward. The eternal, the eternal reward of the ministry of reconciliation. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on trivial, trivial pursuits that only have earthly rewards. But rather, where your reward is in heaven, you go after eternity with, your, with eternity before your eyes and you go after that in the ministry of reconciliation. Don't waste your life. And in conclusion... At the bottom of your sheet there, in conclusion, be doers of the Word, not hearers only. So let, let's, let's end where we began, okay? I realize you know these things. And I realize many of you might even believe these things. And you might even share the Gospel. You might do that. But I want to encourage you to move forward in this. Where's the desperation? The desperation to see souls saved. Where's your passion for the, for the ministry of reconciliation? Will you pray? Will you pray? God, give me a ministry of reconciliation. Help me to walk into this ministry that you actually have given me. Will you fast and pray until souls are brought into the kingdom of God? Will you weep for lost souls? Will you share the gospel as a faithful minister of the gospel? What will you do about this? I told you this was practical. How will you respond? Be doers of the Word. Not hearers only. Let me cap this off by just reading this hymn to you. And you can read it with me. It's on the back of your sheet. 
Now read this and pray. Listen to this poetry. We face a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. A need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know Thee, renew before Thy throne the solemn pledge we owe Thee to go and make Thee known. Where other lords besides Thee hold their unhindered sway, where forces that defy Thee defy Thee still today, with none to heed their crying for life and love and light, unnumbered souls are dying and pass into the night. We bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message ours, fired by the same ambition, to Thee we yield our powers. O Father who sustained them, O Spirit who inspired, Savior whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired, from cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, forth on Thine errand send us to labor for Thy sake. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, God, for giving so many here reconciliation with You. What grace. Thank You, Lord, for the ministry of reconciliation. I pray that You would fill this church with the joy, the joy of laboring for Your glorious Gospel. Thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.